And now I'm going to read our passage. If you all want to stand for the reading of the word, it's Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Therefore, holy brothers who you share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also is faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has counted worthy of more more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is excuse me, faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the word. Lord, not only thank you for the word, but thank you for your church body. Well, thank you for your design that you saved a people not only from something, sin, death, and hell, but you also saved us to something. You saved us to, to be your ambassadors and to take the gospel out into the world where we live, work, and play, where people who don't know you need to know you. And you have sheep that you're going to bring through us proclaiming the good news of the gospel. But also, Lord, we need one another. For man school and TLC and children's ministry and worship ministry, Lord, we, we need one another because we live in a Genesis 3 world. And a Genesis 3 world uh, uh, has its trials, it has its tribulations. It is difficult living in a Genesis 3 world. And this is where we turn our eyes to you and are thankful that you have come because you have overcome the world. And that we can approach this world with joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts and mind because, again, you are the greater Savior. You have overcome the world by your life, death, and resurrection. And so, Lord, I pray, if anyone in here is hurting, Lord, would you please heal them, whether it be spiritually, emotionally, or physically. And what we are not, we, Lord, please make us. What we have not, and please give us. Lord, we just thank you that we have a hope in this life. And his name is Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys, go ahead and be seated. As I said, it's a, it's been a crazy and a, and a difficult week for many of us here at the crossing the last couple of weeks. And I just want us to, to pause and, and, and take a look back on this last week or maybe this, these last couple of weeks. And, and what have you, what have you been mindful of? What have you been pondering this week? What have you been thinking seriously about? What has captivated your soul and your heart that, that, that you need to give strict attention to? There's, there's a lot of things that we can consider today or that maybe our hearts are pondering as we look out into our culture with all the different social issues that are going on, uh, the politics and the future of our great country, or maybe even the family dynamics. Maybe you're wrestling through some family dynamics. Maybe it has to deal with, with me with some finances. Or maybe you even have some sickness in your family. Or maybe you're thinking about man, changing your job or career. Well, this past week for me, I've been thinking a lot about my friend uh, Craig Smith. Uh, I, I've shared a little bit with uh, some of the guys in my life group and the leadership team, but Craig Smith, uh, 
Craig and I, uh, our, our lives kind of mirror one another. And Craig's a, a, a childhood friend. We grew up in Tucson, Arizona, uh, competing against each other in sports and playing with one another in sports. We went to rival high schools and we competed against each other. He was a baseball player. I was a baseball player. I ended up going to the University of New Mexico to play baseball. He went to a JC and then ended up going to the New Mexico State. So we got to play against each other in college. And then I was drafted by the Twins. He was drafted by the Brewers. And we got to play against each other in the minor league. And then uh, God called him to be a pastor in Vail, Colorado, and God called me to be a pastor here in Fort Collins, Colorado. And so when I got this email from Craig on Monday, I was like, sweet, Craig, haven't heard from him in a while. Man, I can't wait. And I opened it up and my heart just sank. Um, the just of his email, he has uh, three daughters and his oldest daughter died in a car accident. His other daughter, the youngest daughter, was also in there and she had to be airlifted uh, to the hospital because she was severely injured. This happened about a, a, a month ago. But what even adds to the tragedy is they were, Craig and his wife were following his daughters and they, they, they saw this happen in real time. Uh, they, were, they were on a vacation with some, some friends and other families. A daughter was driving uh, the van with seven other people in it. They were behind and some other car swerved in their lane. They missed them at high speed and flipped. And again, Craig and his wife uh, saw this all happen. And they were the first responders. They, they, they say that in parenting, one of the toughest things to go through is, is your child dying before you. And I don't know if there's anything tougher than watching it. So Craig sent me that email on Monday. I said, bro, let's, let's talk tomorrow because, um, you know, it's been a world war for him. So I talked to him on Tuesday, got to pray with him. And again, he's a pastor of a church and, 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 and praise the Lord for community. Because that church has just come around him and loved him and served him. But he's still hurt. He's doing as good as he could possibly can. His youngest daughter is doing well. His middle daughter, who witnessed all this, he's a freshman at CSU. And uh, he's like, Aaron, can you can you come around and serve her? I said, man, our church body will do whatever you need. So. One of the biggest things that I've been thinking about is obviously Craig and his wife and his family. But this was the other thought, the other question I've been pondering. It's like, how do people walk through a trial or an issue like that who don't know Jesus and have the hope of the resurrection? How, how do they handle a tragedy like that? What, what do they hold on to? What, what gives them comfort? Where do they turn to when something like this happens? And as I was thinking about this, the conclusion that, that came to my mind is that they don't really have much. All they have are platitudes, right? All they have are these trite and wishful sayings to kind of hopefully hang their hope on it. Well, they're, they're in a good place. They're in a better place. That's what they have. The Bible puts it a little bit more bluntly. The Bible says that they have no hope. That they have no hope. Well, this morning, as we look at Hebrews chapter 3, the author of Hebrews wants you and me to consider Jesus. Because in life and in death, He is our only hope. He is our only assurance. He is our only security. He is the only foundation that gives us answers in this life and in the next. And so He wants us to focus in and consider Jesus. Now here at the crossing, Every Sunday we focus in and consider Jesus because he is, again, the only assured thing in life and in death. And I am convinced that with everything going on in your life, in my life, 
that, that, that this is a timely message, that the Lord's timing is perfect, and He wants to speak to you and me this morning. He wants us to zero in. He wants you and me to zero in on Jesus and to think through Him. So let's dive into Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1-6 through 6, and consider Jesus this morning. First, consider Jesus because He is faithful. In verses 1 and 2, the author is saying, consider Jesus because He is faithful. Look at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, I love going through the letters of the New Testament. Uh, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Peter, you know, James. I, I love going through letters of this because I can diagram them. There's a, there's a flow of thought that kind of just bounces out or flies off the page when you, when you diagram the passage. Like narrative sometimes is, it's tough. You've got to kind of dig through to find the main point. But when you're going through letters and you can diagram them, you can see like, man, the, the point just comes off the page. And a simple sentence, and really the simple thought of verses 1 through 6 is this. Therefore, you and me consider Jesus. That's his whole point. Consider Jesus, therefore you and me. He says, therefore, because of what has just been said, and Rich did a great job teaching through what has just been said in chapter 2. If you haven't listened to it, go and listen to it so you get the framework. But this is the framework. Therefore, because Jesus became man and was our substitute, He was a propitiation to make propitiation for our sin. Because of that, because Jesus has saved you, consider Him. Consider means to pay much close attention to, as Hebrews 2.1 says. Fix your mind, your eyes, directly on Jesus. Zero in on Him. Why? Well, because we're going to see in verses 1 that there are some just absolute truth bombs that you and I can hang our lives on. That we can hang our hat on. That will take your breath and my breath away and give you assurance and hope regarding the implications of Christ's life, death, and resurrection for you and me and our lives. In fact, as studying this verse, Hebrews 3.1, it has become one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And so as we go through this, and as you guys hear the truth behind this, and some of you experience this truth, hopefully this will become one of your favorite verses as well, because it is filled, again, with the awesomeness of Christ. And notice how the lens that we're supposed to consider Jesus through. Uh, holy brothers or holy sisters as family members, as those who have been saved and now we are in the household of God. We are once outside outsiders and now we are insiders. We are sons and daughters of King Jesus. View, view this through that lens. And not only as family members, but notice the adjective before brothers. What is it? It's holy. It's holy. It's, it's you're set apart. This is so important, especially for the younger people uh, in this congregation, in the church, in this world that read this letter. Elementary school, middle school, high schoolers, colleges, maybe even young pros. This is so important for you to grasp this phrase which is over you, which the author says you are holy brothers and holy sisters because there's cultural warriors out there that are trying to define you. They're trying to uh, give you an identity through your physical characteristics or your gender pronouns or your sexual orientation or your ethnicity. 
They're trying to ascribe worth in your identity from a world's perspective. And the author of Hebrews says, not, not, take none of that. You, you listen to how God defines you and who He says you are. Because there's no hope or assurance in letting the world define you. Listen and soak up what the author is saying here. He, he says you are holy. You are holy a brother and sister of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord says that you are, if you are in Him, you are a holy brother and sister. This is your identity. This is who you are. Uh, my, my daughter, I have one daughter left in high school, and one of the classes is, I wish I had this text early on when they first came to school, because one of the first questions that they asked uh, the kids in school is, how do you want to be identified? You know, what do you want your pronouns? And I wish I had this text, I would have said, this is what you tell them. You can call me Holy Sister, right? That's what you can call me. That's what I identify with. You can call me Holy Sister, because that's who I am. That's your identity. That's my identity, if we're in Christ. This is such a crucial, uh, this is so crucial to our understanding today. Because again, the world is trying to identify you and, and trying to give you an identity. Even in the church, even in the church, this is a battle and a struggle. There's a phrase that many of us have probably heard and maybe even said. It's a, it's a good phrase. And it goes something like this. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, how are you doing today? We say, better than what? I deserve. Now, that's a, that's a good phrase. That makes sense. But it's not the complete story. That's just kind of like a half truth. And it kind of almost emphasizes our, 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 our sinfulness, right? It almost emphasizes that who we were in the past before Jesus. So if you're one who likes to use that phrase, give them the full picture. Or if someone says that to you, give them the full picture. If someone says to you, hey man, how was your day? You say, better than I deserve. And then you answer the why question better than you deserve. Better deserve because of the grace and love of Jesus. I'm better and I have more joy and more hope in this world because he sees me as a saint and not a sinner. Complete the thought. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying to you and me this morning. This is your identity if you are in Jesus. If you have repented of your sins and trusted in him, you are a holy brother. A holy sister set apart and listen it doesn't matter how deep your struggles are inside and out each week your battle with sin as the one as one who has been given the righteousness of Christ he sees you as a son and daughter he his declaration over you is holy brother and sister you are a son and daughter of Hebrews 2.10 says that has been brought to glory by Jesus. So that, that in of itself is just an amazing thought. But he continues, look at it, it keeps on going. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Not only are you a holy brother, but you have a heavenly calling. And not only is it just in particular to you, but we all share in this heavenly calling. As holy brothers and sisters, we all have something in common. And now when you hear calling here, don't think like profession. Don't think like job. Don't think like pastor or elder or deacon or disciple or some kind of job title. This is talking about an effectual call. This is a call that, that, that causes a response in you and me from King Jesus. Think of this calling, this heavenly calling, as, as a calling from King Jesus uniquely 
calling you and me personally with a heavenly invitation to enter the kingdom of God in all of its trappings. That's what this heavenly calling is. It's it's a calling from heaven to heaven. It's an incredible calling. And look at this call. This call only comes from Jesus. Look at the end of verse 1. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. You see, we can know who we are in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. It's His faithfulness in securing our identity through being a faithful apostle and the faithful high priest. There's a lot of ways in which you and I can consider Jesus, but here, the author of Hebrews wants us to consider Jesus as our apostle and our high priest. What's interesting about this is this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus is called an apostle. An apostle. And we know what an apostle is. An apostle is a messenger. It's one who, who is sent by someone else with authority to bring their message. And we see that Jesus in John 20, 21 was sent by God the Father. He says this, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In Luke 4.16, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, and He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. So Jesus is, is sent from God the Father with a message for you and for me. It's the good news. It's the news that saves us. It's the news that, that sets us free from our sin. Gives us liberty and freedom. And so Jesus is the the faithful apostle. But not only that, he's also our faithful high priest. Now, we're going to tap into this in a couple weeks when we go through Hebrews chapter 4, 4 through 16. But right now, we just need to remember what the role of the high priest was. And we can go back to Exodus that we looked at over last year. We know that the high priest's role was to what? To be the mediator between God and his people. He was the one to to make the sacrifices in the Holy of Holies for the forgiveness of sin for that year. He was the one to lead his people into worship. And here it says that Jesus is your high priest and my high priest. He is the one mediator between God and us. And not only did he perfectly and was faithful in presenting the sacrifice for your sin and my sin, he was the sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he was the faithful apostle and he was the faithful high priest. This is where our identity is built and rooted on. On what Christ has done for us. Jesus is the messenger from God and he's the minister to us to take us to God. John Piper puts it this way. Jesus as an apostle was the word from the Father and as our high priest he is the way to the Father. It's it's all about Jesus. This is why we want to consider Jesus this morning. Because He is the Word from the Father and He is the way to the Father. And then look at Hebrews 3.2. Again, we see again this faithfulness. Who was faithful to Him, to the Lord God the Father who appointed Him? He was faithful. So this week, this week, when when you got time by yourself, don't immediately go to the next task. Don't immediately pick up your phone and, man, see who's on Facebook or who's commenting on your Instagram page. No, take time to consider Jesus. Take time to consider who you are in Jesus. Take time to consider your heavenly calling and what does that mean? What are the implications of you being called from heaven to heaven? But most importantly, consider Jesus as your 
apostle and as your high priest. What does that mean? Pause, meditate, and chew on this. Chew on that you are a holy brother and sister called from heaven. That takes us to our second point. Consider Jesus because he is better than Moses. He's better than Moses. Verses 3 through 6. Now, after declaring in chapters 1 and 2, when we looked at that Jesus is better than the prophets, Jesus is better than the angels, we see here that Jesus is better than Moses. Even though Moses was faithful. At the end of verse 2, it says that, that Moses was faithful. But then we see in Hebrews 3, 3, it says, for Jesus has been considered worthy of more glory than even Moses. Now, when you see this, when we talk about Jesus is better or superior to the prophets or to the angels or to Moses, we need to remember something. We're not knocking Moses, the angels or the prophets. They were faithful. They, they, were, they were faithful to what they were called to do. All we're saying is that Jesus is even better than them. He's better than them. It's kind of like this. It's like ground beef by itself is good, right? Who doesn't like ground beef? But ground beef with a tortilla and some queso and some, some, some chili, right? And some salsa is a little bit better, right? I mean, we might be saying, to use my analogy, that Jesus is the whole enchilada, right? Well, the author of Hebrews gives us two better reasons of why Jesus is better than Moses than that. And again, when we talked through the book of uh, Exodus, we, we saw that Moses was faithful. Now, Moses had his faults, right? We, I mean, he killed a guy in, in protecting one of his fellow Jewish brothers. He, he tried to get out at the burning bush. He tried to get out of being the leader, giving up all these excuses. And he kind of had a temper. He had an anger problem. But given all that, as we look at the whole of his life, Moses was faithful to the Lord. Listen to the way the Lord describes Moses in Numbers 12, 7. He says this, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak with him in a dream. That's, that's pretty cool. The Lord calls you a prophet. He's going to speak to you in a vision and a dream. But look how he describes his relationship with Moses. Verse 7 says, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house with him. I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds this from the Lord. He speaks to Moses personally. You guys remember in Exodus where they went into the tent and it says that Moses spoke with God as a friend. So when, so when the Lord says Moses is faithful, we, we see he's faithful. Moses, when it comes to Judaism, is the, is the, is the cream of the crop. Uh, he is the, the top dog in Judaism. Even above and than, than even Abraham and even Jesus himself. Uh, the author of Hebrews is going to then give us two, two illustrations on, on how. And this is the first one. The first one is about the house and how the builder of the house receives more glory than the house itself. Uh, I love how Phileo uh, put that. He says this, that which has made is superior to the thing made. The one who crafts the thing, the house, is more superior than the house itself. Um, I, I'm going to make it a little personal admission to you guys today. I like to watch the HGTV, the, the show Homegrown, okay? Homegrown. Ho no, sorry, Hometown. Hometown. 
hometown, hometown. Most of you guys probably know what that show is. It's about this couple who lives in this small, small, small town. And I believe it's in Mississippi. And their whole passion is to kind of take these old houses that are basically unlivable and to, and to, and to rebuild them. And to rebuild them and to be a blessing in the town. And they do incredible work, this husband and wife team. It's incredible work. And one of my favorite parts is, is looking at the before and after pictures. What the house looked like before and what it looked like after. And we're amazed at the before and after pictures. And we're like, like man, that's incredible. Look at how incredible. What, and, and what do we end up doing? We're praising the house. But more important, we're saying, like, look what they did. Look at their gifting and, and rebuilding and designing this house. And, and what keeps us coming back is not the houses that they, 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 they redo or rebuild, but it's like, what are they going to do next? We praise them because of their gift mix. That's what draws us to them. What are they going to do next? I kind of, again, live vicariously through the guy because the last thing I built with my hands in the wood shop was in eighth grade. We made it like a little wood box, right? And that's it. And so I kind of live vicariously through them. And this is what he's saying, that, that Christ built the house, therefore he's, he's better than Moses because Moses is the house. In other words, Jesus built Moses into the house. And when we see God's house here, don't think brick and mortar, don't think structure, don't think like we're in the house of God right now. We're not in the house of God. The house here is people. The house here is the church. You and I are the house. We are the household. It's what the spiritual house is being built up, as Peter said in verse Peter 2, 5. And so we see that Jesus is better than Moses because, again, Jesus built Moses into the house. Moses is a massive pillar of the household of God, but he's just one piece of the house like you and me. And Jesus has been building this house over centuries, starting with the Old Testament prophets and the people, into the New Testament, the prophet and the people and the disciples. And throughout all the centuries of the great Christian, he's still building his house through you and me this today in 2021. And before I go to the second illustration, let me pull, put out one sweet biblical the, uh, theology connection here for all you Bible nerds in this in the crossing, which we all should be Bible nerds. In verse 3, it says that Jesus is building the house. In verse 4, it says that God is the builder of all things. And this kind of takes us back to Hebrews chapter 1 when we looked at the, the reality of the Trinity, right? And, and so we asked the question, well, who's building the household of God? Is it God or is it Jesus? And the answer is yes, exactly. The answer is yes. And, and this takes us back to 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 13 of this promise that was made to David. It's because the Davidic covenant it was a promise that was made to David, but it points to and fulfilled in Jesus. This is what it says in 2 Samuel 7 through 11, speaking to David. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down, when you die with your fathers, I will raise up an offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The, the near future fulfillment of that is Solomon. He builds this physical temple, but there's something even greater than a physical temple that he's talking about. And that points us to Jesus who builds the spiritual temple. It is He who oversees and builds the house. It is He who establishes His throne and the kingdom forever. 
So you see, when you pick up this Bible, this is why biblical theology is so important why we preach it here. This is one story of redemption. And if you don't view it through that lens, you are going to miss all kinds of things. You're going to miss all kinds of beautiful and wonderful threads about the story of redemption. And so we hear we see this great, sweet biblical theology that is uh, fulfilled thousands of years later in Christ. Second, we read of that Jesus and, and Moses are, are contrasted to with one another. We see that Jesus is better because Moses was a servant of the house and Jesus is the son or heir over the house. Look at Hebrews three, five. And, I, and if you got your Bibles, get your pens out. because I want you to circle or highlight some words. If you have it on your phone, do it however you do it on your phone. But look at 3.5. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify the things that were to be spoken of, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So this is what I want to hide. Verse 5. Moses was, circle was, faithful in, circle in, God's house as a servant, circle as a servant. Go to verse 6. Jesus is, circle is, faithful. Over, circle over, God's house as a son, circle as a son. You see, Moses was faithful. Jesus is faithful. Moses, Moses was, was faithful temporarily. Jesus is faithful eternally. Uh, Moses is where? In the house. Christ is what? Over the house. This is why Christ is better. And then it goes on to verse 5. It says this, Moses testified to the things that were to be spoken later. The what he was testifying was to pointing people to Jesus. He was the one that was coming who was better. And John 5, 46, Jesus says this, if you believe Moses, do you believe his testimony? Do you believe what he pointed to? If you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. Jesus wrote about, I mean, Moses wrote about the Messiah Jesus is the Messiah. Moses spoke about the Messiah to come. Jesus is the Messiah who came. You see, in the Old Covenant, the one that Moses mediated, it went like this. Here was the formula. Faithfulness and obedience to the law equals blessing. Disobedience and unfaithfulness to the law leads to what? Judgment or curses. That's why Israel was always in the doghouse because they were always disobeying the Lord and His commands. That's the old covenant. That's the old revelation. Here's the new covenant that Jesus mediates. It goes like this. Jesus' faithfulness, obedience to the law perfectly equals blessing. And if you're in Christ, there is no curses. I don't know about you, but that sounds a little bit better, doesn't it? So we see this contrast that Jesus is far superior or better even than Moses. So why point this out? Because most commentators believe that the Christians back then were starting to get persecuted by Nero when we talked about that when we opened up in the introduction of Hebrew. Nero was starting to blame everything, all of Romans, all of Rome's problems on the Christians. And some of these some of these guys were feeling the heat and they thought, man, if we just go back to Judaism and the old covenant, we're going to be OK because we're, they're not getting persecuted. And we would think, man, how crazy is that? Who would ever want to go and live under the old covenant when you have the new covenant? Who would ever want to go live under the old covenant and the law when you have, can live under the covenant of grace, regardless of what's taking place in the culture around you, right? That's our natural thought. But then we stop and pause it's like, oh, we can and we and we do. 
we, we can be tripped up as well. And we're not even being persecuted like these individuals back in Hebrews. Let me tell you what I mean. Sometimes how we can see ourselves fall back under the old covenant and walk by law and not by grace. Have you ever thought that God was mad at you or punishing you because you haven't been obeying him perfectly? Or this, are you resentful to God because you think he should be giving you something because you're being faithful? And since you don't have it, he's not he's not holding up his end of the bargain. This is what it looks like to live under law and not grace. And the author of Hebrews says that, hey, Jesus is better than Moses. He's better of a better covenant. And we're really going to hit this on on chapter seven, eight, nine and ten, because he's just really going to unpack it there. So the author says, hey, consider Jesus. Live in freedom and not in bondage. The old covenant points us to a greater tutor, to a greater teacher, and that is of Christ and the new covenant of grace. And then finally, we see the third reason why we're supposed to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus and pers- consider Jesus and persevere by believing. Consider Jesus and persevere. Hold fast by believing. Look at the uh, end of, uh, of verse 6. It says this in Hebrews 3, 6b. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confession, our boasting in our hope. You see, now the author says that you and I are the house. Again, the house is not a structure. It's a people that God has called from heaven through the gospel, through Christ's life, death and resurrection. He says we are this house. But then he gives this condition clause. If we do something. If we hold fast, if we persevere our confidence in our boasting in the Lord and and you might pause and be like, well, wait a second, you've just been teaching that. The way we're saved is not by doing something, but it's by what Christ has done for us. And so when it, what, but here it says that if we're going to persevere, we must do something. And we must do something, but it's not doing something. The something that we're to be doing is believing in what Christ has done. You see, perseverance or holding fast our confession and boasting in our hope is an evidence that you are believing in Jesus. If you are believing in Jesus, you will persevere. That's the point. This is so crucial. Listen, our perseverance doesn't save us. It's believing in the perseverance and faithfulness of Christ in his life, his death and his resurrection in our place that saves us. And so the work that we do, the condition clause is not uh, not in us working, but it's us believing in what Jesus has done for us. You can remember the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Uh, there were some seeds that were thrown on the scene and it seemed that some believed and it seemed that said it received it with joy, but they had no root. And so when trial and tribulation came, they were blown away. Why? Because they truly didn't believe. In Scripture, when we talk about perseverance and, and the, the perseverance of the saints, and we're going to see this in a couple other chapters, um, even next week, uh, we're going to highlight that a little bit more. And then also in verses uh, uh, chapter 6 and 10, we're going to dive even more into this perseverance. Perseverance in the Bible always revolves around the heart and believing. And not trying harder and doing better. 
And that's got to be crucial for us to get our minds around to understand persevering. It always starts with believing. And then in that believing, there is fruit. As Martin Luther says, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but our faith is never alone. So it's all about believing. The author of Hebrews is saying that believing faith is persevering faith. And those that say they believe, but they turn away and they walk away from the faith, never were truly believers in the first place. See 1 John 2.19. Again, we're going to unpack this a little bit more a little bit next week, and then Hebrews 6 and 10. But let me just, let me just sum up this third, third principle. This is, this is kind of how I thought, and this is how I wrote it out, about consider Jesus by persevering, uh, by, by believing. Believing in the perseverance and faithfulness of Jesus is the chain that binds our hearts to heaven. And that's how I want to sum up perseverance for you and for me. Believing in the perseverance and faithfulness of Jesus is the chain that binds our hearts to heaven. That's what it means to persevere. We persevere by believing. By believing. So this morning, consider Jesus. In fact, not this morning. Every single day, consider Jesus. I was saved in March of 1990. And, and, and I can say that there hasn't been a day that has gone by that I haven't considered Jesus. And that's just the goodness of God and His grace. My daughter, oh, all my kids, they got the Snapchat. I think it's Snapchat. I could be way off here. But Snapchat, and they both like, oh, look, I got 220 days with my friend. We touched, you know, we snapped each other. 200 straight days. Woo! You know? It's like, okay, that's cool. I've been doing it for 30 years. You know? You've been doing it for 30 years. Consider Jesus each and every day. Consider who you are in Christ. You're a holy family member. You're a brother and sister of Jesus. You have a heavenly calling that you have been called to. And it's because of not your faithfulness, but because of Christ's faithfulness. Because He was the faithful apostle. He was your faithful high priest. And because of that, you can now persevere. And you persevere by believing in Jesus' faithfulness and perseverance for you. Maybe do this. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Here's a way that you can consider Jesus. When you think about Jesus, when you have that time to get together with Jesus alone, look at Colossians chapter 3 and the whole chapter, well, verses 1 through 17 in particular. Let me just highlight the first couple of it. This is what it looks like to consider Jesus. In verse 1 it says, If then, there's that condition clause, if you have been raised up with Christ... By believing in Him, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, see at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things of the earth. Let, let heaven define who you are and what you're to set your mind on, not what the world says. He says, where Christ is, see at the right hand of God. Set your minds on those things that are above, not on things on the earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now go down to verse 17. Well, what does it look like? What does it look like to, to meditate and to think on? It means to, uh, well, verse 5 says put to death, but then go down to verse 17, and then put on. This is what it looks like to live out a heavenly calling. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility and meekness and patience. A bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive one another. 
This is what it looks like to live out your identity. This is what it looks like to, to live out a heavenly calling. This is the implication of the gospel. Christ as your apostle and as your high priest. You, you forgive one another as the Lord has what? Forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And verse 14, and above all else, put on love. Put on love because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. And when you do that, you're going to have perfect peace in your life. And so this morning, let's consider Jesus and let's let's consider Jesus. The rest of our days. Every single day. So that we can be a light to the world that needs to have Jesus in their life so desperately. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word this morning. Lord, it's a simple, it's a simple word. Therefore, Aaron, put your name in there. Consider Jesus. Because Jesus has the answers, has the hope, has the assurance, has the joy, has the love for this life and in the next. And Lord, I pray that as we consider Jesus this week, that we don't, we don't just keep Him to ourselves, but then we also consider those who need Jesus. Those who are walking through the difficulties of a Genesis 3 world who who all they have right now are grasping at platitudes and sayings. Lord, may we, may we be the ambassadors. May you use us to bring the good news of your son Jesus, who is our only hope and our only joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.